Hello and welcome to the Grassroots Coachcast. I'm one of your hosts, Dave. And I'm Ben. Today we're going to be talking about starting out as a grassroots coach, how we found it and the type of lessons we learned. In our retro review section, we'll be talking about a player who's been described by the National Football Museum as the most naturally gifted English player of his generation. Okay, so Ben, it's been a it's been a pretty mad last week since we since we launched the podcast. It has, and uh, I think from what we've seen, we've had some really good feedback. Um, it's kind of mind blowing to get so many downloads. It doesn't sound like many, but for me to get involved in doing this and have that many people show some interest is fantastic. And I think now we've got the Twitter page up as well. We're getting the message out there, and um, yeah, I'm really enjoying the interaction that we're getting with other coaches and that kind of thing and we've had some a few likes on the tweets from football players and supporters of other clubs so yeah hopefully we can keep spreading the word and keep sharing ideas and uh, keep progressing it so yeah it's been all good really good first week yeah it's been absolutely fantastic i mean we didn't really we didn't plan for a, a huge launch or anything like that but but some of the feedback's been been surprisingly really really positive and um you know, people saying they like the concepts, like uh, kind of how it started off, and, and looking forward to seeing how it goes. So, uh, so that's that's been great. So, uh, so thanks, Mum, Ben, and I uh, really appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Money so, like, yeah, <laughs> like you say, uh, probably a few more downloads than we than we probably expected to, and uh, yeah, yeah. so that so that's been brilliant. Really, have had any idea of what to expect, but yeah, to to think there's sort of that many people have shown some interest in it, it's great, and just hopefully we can live up to the the early hype and uh, keep putting something out there that's interesting to people, and you know, hopefully further down the line, get other people involved and share their ideas and keep it going. Really, yeah. So. If you do like what you hear, then uh, go ahead and hit the subscribe button on uh, on iTunes or or Stitcher there. And uh, again, if you give us a give us a five star review there, that helps other people find the podcast. Or also, I'm led to believe. So speaking of which, uh, we do have our first five star review actually in the in that opening week. So. I think it's uh, so. I believe the iTunes stores are, are quite regionalized. So this one is for the UK. I, I haven't checked other regions yet, um, but if we go ahead and and have a look at that, so okay. So very interesting podcast between two friends about footy coaching of their children. Nice, short and sweet. <laughs> and, and so uh, well, we haven't so, got ten kids each. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's more it's more about uh, the coaching than it is specifically about our kids. But well, we will um, be doing an episode on that coaching your own kids. I think there's plenty of stories we can share on that. Yeah, absolutely. So again, thank you for that. Um, again, we'll we'll nominate our five star reviews as a as a go Lazio, and so we'll we'll give that a shout out whenever we whenever we get one of those. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can email us at grassrootscoachcast at gmail.com. So no spaces, no hyphens. 
grassrootscoachcast at gmail.com. You can also get us on Twitter at grootscoachcast. And uh, go ahead and, and give us a follow. Let us know what you think. So it's been a quite an interesting uh, last week in the in the international game as well. Uh, nice segue there with that, wasn't it? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I did. So a um, couple of couple of international appointments. Um, we obviously had Ryan Giggs for the Welsh uh, men's football team and Phil Neville uh, taking over the England ladies uh, football team or the Lionesses. So let's let's discuss a little bit about Ryan Giggs because Ben, you're actually a, a passionate Welsh uh, fan, aren't I you? I am, born and, born and bred in Coventry. Um, yeah, all my, all my family are Welsh and... Uh, I think me and my brother are the only people who are actually born in England in our family, um, but brought up in a very, my dad's actually more of a rugby guy, but I've been brought up in a very sort of partisan Welsh supporting house and it's had a bit of a rub off effect on me. So I do support Wales and I do follow Wales over England if they play each other. I get plenty of stick about that, but um, yeah, <laughs> I, I am a, a Welsh fan for my sins. So um, so what what do you think then about, about Giggs taking over? Um, I've got to be honest. I was a bit, a bit underwhelmed by it. To be honest, I think I wouldn't say it was a safe choice, but I think it was kind of an obvious choice. He's probably the he's a big name and obviously played for Wales for many years. I think if you look at how many caps he got, he got sixty mid sixties, I think, which is when we talked about Alan Hansen last week. How many caps he got for Scotland? And it's a similar thing with Giggs, albeit for different reasons. I think he should easily have had double that. Um, whether it was Alex Ferguson stopping him playing for friendlies or not, I don't know. But as a managerial appointment, he's he's had a brief stint at Man United, caretaker capacity. I don't know. I think it's just his. I find him as a his demeanour. I find a bit downbeat. He may not be like that in real life. He may be, you know, very inspiring and you know he likes to laugh and a joke and that sort of thing. But I don't know. I left. I was just left a bit underwhelmed. But I personally would have liked Craig Bellamy to have got it. Um, Probably the opposite to gigs, a bit more left field in, in but, terms of personality. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. But I just, I just love love Craig Bellamy. He's a bit of a rogue, bit of a scallywag, and I think just his passion. I'd have loved to have seen him on the touchline as a manager for Wales, or we may in the future see him. I don't know. I know he's working um, at Cardiff under Neil Warnock in the development squad, and it would be nice to have him involved in the Wales setup. I think probably him and. Giggs's personalities are a bit too different for that to happen, but and he has come out and thrown his weight behind Giggs since he got the job. So, but yeah, I was a bit disappointed. But then I think if you look at the last few appointments, Chris Coleman, Gary Speed, even Mark Hughes, you know, Speed hadn't managed anybody, nor had Mark Hughes. Chris Coleman's stock was pretty low when he took the job. I think it's, I think the main thing is it's a different job now. I think there's a lot of expectation now with Wales because of how they've done recently. They've got some real talented young players coming through. And as long as he can get the buy-in of those players and he can bring them through and develop them, and a couple of them get them capped as quickly as possible, Ampadu from Chelsea and David Brooks from Sheffield United, they're two real young talents. They could still play for England. They've played for Wales, but not in a competitive game. So it's important he gets them capped and it's important he just gets the buy-in of what is a good young squad. And I think even if you look at Bale, Gunter, Allen, mm-hmm. Ramsey, the sort of core 
part of that team. They're all still a good age, you know, 27, 28. So they've got another good few years in them. And I just think as long as they look up to him, respect him and buy into what he wants to do, then, you know, good. And I'll get behind him. Um, though it would just be interesting to see if he continues the sort of approach Chris Coleman and Gary Speed to a point before that, or if we'll bring in a whole new raft of ideas, change the way they play. I don't know, but, you know, good luck to him. Um, what do you think? Obviously, you're not you're not Welsh. You don't support Wales. What do you think as a so as, a, as an English I, supporter? I kind of support right. So, so first and foremost, I, I support England on the on the international uh, front. But I, I do look out for all the home nations uh, results as well. And I, I yeah, I think I I, 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 I do well, like yeah. to see Wales win. I mean, when they when the footage came out with them. Uh, furiously celebrating Iceland knocking England out. I, I <laughs> left a little bit of a sour taste, but I still, yeah. I, I can't shake that. You know, it feels like an innate uh, warming towards seeing how Wales do. And again, I, I you know, when I go back to being a, a kid, uh, obviously Ian Rush was uh, was one of my heroes and, and played for Wales. And I, I just could not wrap my head around the fact that Wales didn't beat everyone because they had Ian Rush there. <laughs> um, yeah, so yeah, yeah. I guess, you know, it was a matter of time before Giggs picked up a job, uh, just about every job that's been going he's, he's been yeah. linked to, hasn't he? And, but he's really absolutely great player. Uh, but pretty untested on, on the managerial front. Yeah, I, I think if he'd got the job when Chris Coleman got it, there'd be a lot less pressure on him because obviously there were tragic circumstances that Chris Coleman got the job. But mm-hmm. Welsh football was at a pretty... Gary Speed had sort of pulled it out of the doldrums to a point and he was making some real progression. But I think now the expectation is so high and obviously we've just missed out on a World Cup, which is really disappointing. But after the Euros... People, you know, see Wales as a bit of a scalp, and I think um, it would be interesting to see how he does. And this Nations League, you know, they've got Denmark and uh, ooh, is it Republic or Northern Ireland? I can't remember now. But it'd be, it'd be interesting to see how he does in that. And obviously, that's a route eventually into the Euros. It's an important and an, or it'll be an untried tournament. But he's got to hit the ground running straight away. And there's no, you know, he hasn't got friendly games now to find his feet and find his team. He's got to know what the majority of the team he wants to play and mm-hmm. how he wants to play and let's see yeah. how he does I think that Euros performance and uh, that team you know people will be talking about that in 50 you know 70 odd years time won't they it, it's the most successful Welsh team for uh, for a long time yeah yeah and they surprised a lot of people and people didn't know or expect how they would play and now I think people have sussed them out a bit and it's, that's part of the challenge for gigs can he find a slightly different way of playing um, and take it from there because they haven't got unlimited players to choose from. So you've got to kind of fit the formation and tactics around the players you have got. So yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting. But they have got some good young talent coming through. So yeah, yeah, hopefully he can answer that. No, good luck to him for sure. Um, so it's like it's like different uh, appointments, and uh, one that's one that's got quite a bit of news is the uh, Phil Neville taking over the the English ladies. Yeah, went, went under the radar, didn't it? Really. So uh, what are your thoughts on that one? Well, it's funny. I was talking to my wife about it before. She wasn't very impressed because my daughter plays and they're, they're quite into their the ladies' football and they go and watch they go and watch Chelsea a bit and um, they take a lot of interest in England. My daughter's a massive England fan. 
Um, yeah, she wasn't too impressed, but I think her, her argument was, well, what's the route for female coaches if they see Phil Neville get the job? But, but you know, a guy had that job before him. Um, I don't know. It didn't really affect me in terms of did I think it was good, bad? I thought if it, my view's always been if he's the right person for the job and they believe he's the right person for the job, then fair play. And it's the same if, if a, you know, will it ever happen? It's unlikely. But if a female got the England men's football team job, I'd be totally behind him. If the FA thought that was the right person, great. And I'd be, I'd want them to do well. As a, even as a Wales fan, because I do kind of want England to do well sometimes. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, it, it was a it was a bit left field in terms of his man, again managerial experience. He's had a bit of experience at Valencia as an assistant, but he's kind of unproven. And as for the the Twitter stuff, I mean, my view on it was well, whatever. You know, people can put. I took it as tongue in cheek what he'd written in the past. I, I think that was my take on it. And you could you could dig out anything on anybody these days because of the way the media is and technology and social media. You could dig out a quote from 20 years, 15, 20 years ago, probably on the Internet that somebody said and throw it back at them. But I think, you know, again, if he gets the buy-in from the players and um, the respect yeah. and he takes it forward, then, you know, good luck to him again. And I hope he does well because cause I think the, the way the England team has performed recently has opened up a whole new raft of girls being interested in football. Um, and it's certainly, like I said, my wife and daughter go and watch ladies football. And I think they probably wouldn't have done that um, if they hadn't watched the England team recently. Yeah. So, yeah, good. So I hope, I hope he does well. Yeah. I, I've been really looking forward to talking about this one, actually. I mean, the, the Twitter stuff, like you say, uh, it, it, the problem is with, with you know, Digital information like that, you say something once and it's it's with you forever. Now, yeah. however he intended it, whatever, is, it, it's done now, it's in the past. But I, I think my, my thoughts on it are a bit more unstructured and I think I can jump from one side of the fence to the other yeah. quite easily. Um, now, I think... As you'd mentioned about you know what your wife was saying there, so forget forget the fact that you know he'd said this stuff on Twitter. He's not been in and around the ladies' game, so you know you wouldn't think he he would know it that well to start off with. Um, he also hasn't been a, a particularly successful coach. Now, as as a player, I think I I probably rate him rated him higher than than most people. Um, I thought, you know, a few times I saw him, particularly when he was in, uh, when he moved into the middle of midfield. I, I, I liked the way he played. He was that destroyer yeah, in the middle. That, you're right, actually. You're right. I think he suffered, didn't he, from being quite versatile and played all over the place. But you're right. I think when he played Reverton as a central midfielder, he was pretty decent, actually. Yeah, I, but as as a coach, you know, he's he's. You could say he's possibly been a bit unlucky. He's never he's never been that manager, you know, the number one. He's he's sort of been the coach with like David Moyes, and then he went uh, with Gary Neville off to off to Valencia. Didn't do particularly uh, great things there. So from that perspective, I'm I'm scratching my head a bit and wondering, well, where's the where's the track record, and also what what is the progression for other people who who are working hard in the in the ladies' game. Yeah, I think that's the key point, really. And the but the other, if I flip across to the other side of the fence, uh, he's a name that a lot of people know. Yeah, 
you know, and he was a very, very good Premiership footballer and an international player, of course. Um, so, will that raise the profile of the of the team a bit more? Um, well, you'd hope so. I mean, that's that's possibly partly behind their thinking in appointing him. You don't know, but obviously they've seen something. Whether he was interviewed and he impressed, and he's got a good vision. Um, but yeah, yeah, you know, you're It's a valid point. So yeah, like I say, good luck to him. I hope he does really well. Um, bit of a strange one, but uh, but now he's got the job. Let's let's get behind him. I and think. just finally, I mean, it's a similar thing to Giggs. He's got into a job now, which is more high. It's much higher profile than it was before. You know, Sampson got the job probably. Um, and yeah, there's pressure on him now because it's it's become more widespread. It's on telly a lot more, which is obviously a good thing. And there's there's pressure on him to perform straight away. So there's no kind of hiding place for him. So good, you know, good on him for taking it. And let's see how he does. Yep. Okay, so let's move on to our on to our main section then, which is starting out. Okay, so we're going to be talking about uh, starting off as as that grassroots coach and uh, that initial period uh, when you uh, when you take up your new team. So first of all, Ben, how did how did you find that initial those initial few first weeks and months? So yeah, initially it was um, I found it quite mind blowing, really, um, <laughs> just in terms of the the sheer amount of administration involved, which I probably a bit naively didn't expect because we've got we've got a club secretary and general manager and I thought, oh, they'll, they'll organise this, they'll organise that. Then it was kind of like just bombardment of emails. You know, you've got to, got to order all your kit. You've got to attend this meeting about this. You've got to attend that meeting about that. You've got to get all your players measured up. You've got to do it by this time. You know, if you get the order wrong, you don't get a refund and all this. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> you know, but... um. So yeah, initially, I also had to. Um, the thing I found most stressful was I had to make sure every player was signed up to a payment plan for the season. I'd either paid in one go, paid in a couple of instalments, or signed up to another instalment plan we've got. And I'd get a weekly report, and it would tell me at what stage everybody was at. And I had to chase the people who hadn't paid. Um, and until they'd paid, they wouldn't get a ID card. If you haven't got an ID card, you can't play. So that was that was quite stressful and uh, chasing parents who were maybe not responding to emails and stuff. So that was that was an interesting start. And then I found ordering the kit the most stressful thing on the planet <laughs> because, because we were a new team this year. So we needed a home strip and an away strip. Um, and I had to do it myself through a third party that we go to to get all of our equipment. Um, so I had to order it straight through them. And I kept reading this email, no refunds and all this. And I was like, oh my god, you know, I can't, I can't get this wrong. So we had, we had an introductory evening at the club for all the new teams and players, and they brought out all these boxes of kits, probably like five or six boxes of different size strips, and of course I had ten kids, and all their parents rifling through all this stuff, shouting out, oh my, my son wants this size. Ben, make sure you get this size for him, this size for that. And I was like, oh, just hold on. <laughs> so uh, luckily I used my son is a bit of a guinea pig so I was trying all these strips out thinking well yeah you're this size that should do for you then a couple of lads are a bit bigger so I'll get them that size 
Um, and then I had to get the club to approve it and pay for it because we're a new team. They would agree, they agreed to pay for the new strips. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, we'd have to pay for that ourselves or get sponsorship to pay for it. Yeah. Um, so I thought it was all going hunky-dory after a couple of weeks. I hadn't heard anything. And I sort of just emailed the club chairman, owner, just to check how it was going. And he was like, oh, yeah, yeah you can't. I can't approve it yet. You've ordered two goalkeeper kits. You only need one. I was like, oh, my God. So I had to, I had to phone and cancel and amend the order and then eventually approved it. And I think with a week before the first game, we finally got the kits. So I was thinking we wouldn't even have a strip for the first game. And then just dishing those out to everybody was interesting because people were pulling out the wrong sizes. And, oh, the mine doesn't fit. It's too big, too small. And eventually we got there. So, um, yeah. So initially I found it quite hard work. Um, but after that initial admin period was out of the way, it was then focusing on the football um, mm-hmm. taking that forward. Probably different for you, I guess, because you, you've come in a bit later, so I'm guessing that was already sorted out. Is it similar at your club? Do you have to do that yourself, or have you got a, a, I don't know, an admin person who does that, or how, how does it work? So I guess hearing you talk there I, I guess I'm quite lucky so so we're both starting off from slightly different places aren't we and actually we're yeah probably my starting point is is more focused on the coaching yeah whereas your uh mm. focus there had to be as the as the manager or manager coordinator administrator basically yeah. everything <laughs> so I mean, all of that stuff, quite honestly, because I'm, I'm effectively the assistant coach. Uh, yeah. the, the head coach kind of looks after all the management stuff. So I'm pretty lucky from that from that perspective. Don't have to have all those administrative headaches. Um, so, so did you get all the kits right? Did anyone? Uh... Yeah, I mean, a couple, a couple are a bit too big, but then they should. Uh, they they said you want to order for two years. So order like they're going to be wearing it for two years. So I've erred on the side of being a bit bigger than smaller. So, mm-hmm. you know, when they took the shirts in, they look all right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, my, my son's the same, you know, he's, he's probably sort him, uh, probably more than two years, probably. Yeah. <laughs> probably sort him out for a while longer than that as well. So I think when... I mean, is there, is there anything else? Uh, I guess in terms of just surprises on the on the managerial side, um, not so much because because a friend of mine manages an under eights there, which I think I mentioned last week. So I had a bit of an idea, but I was surprised how much I was just kind of left to get on with it myself. Without there were people I could go to for guidance, but it was kind of I had to ask a lot of questions and find out for myself, which is fine. It's probably a good way to to learn the ropes but um mm-hmm. yeah probably other than the initial admin i would uh, not really and then just getting the password for the website and then having to you know arrange with the other managers what time to meet where the pitch is you know all this this that and the other so but mm-hmm. once you get in the routine of it it's fine and it's the admin side of it becomes very minimal after yeah. that it's just making sure you you know you know where you're playing make sure you contact the manager we the rules with our league is you've got to give five days advance notice to your opponent mm-hmm. so you know sometimes you can almost forget to do that occasionally but um it's quite quite well tuned now so from an admin perspective before going on to, into the coaching you know debate um yeah it's it's fine and next year get new players and have to order some new kit 
Sorry, could you say say that last sentence again? That just yeah. Skype just cut out. So yeah, in, in terms of admin, it's pretty straightforward now. And when we do it again in the summer, it'll be less people to worry about in terms of buying new kits and stuff. And I, I kind of now I know what to expect. It'll be pretty straightforward. So no yeah. real worries on that front now. Yeah. No, I think for the for the kit sizings, um, the the club. Um, where I'm at, it's really quite organised. They have uh, there's lots and lots of teams uh, as well, so you kind of you just have a, a spot in the schedule, and you get the kids coming in. And they get sized up, and they've got a little tracker sheet there to uh, to note down everyone's sizes and everything. So uh, yeah, quite quite lucky on that front. But it's, it's good to know uh, uh, what your experience is as well. Well, yeah, it's interesting. What about on the on the coaching side? So focusing in on the on those first few few weeks or first few sessions and, and weeks. Well, I guess probably similar to how you found it, getting involved initially, very nervous, um, kind of not panicking, but oh, you know, am I doing the right thing? Am I the right person to try and take these kids and develop them and all this sort of stuff? So. Initially, I mean, we we've got a 3G pitch at our club, and we get allocated a training slot, and they mm-hmm. divide the pitch into six. Um, so you get a quite nice big area of the pitch to train on. So before that started, I did a few sessions at the park, local park, just to get to know the kids and the parents, because probably half probably half of the team I didn't know, because mm-hmm. there was the half like I said last week that I knew already and bought in, and there were players that I picked up and inherited that I didn't really know. So it was important to try and get everybody together as early as possible, which we did. And we had a couple of initial friendlies while at the club. Um, so, yeah, I tried it. I kind of had a few things that I used to do at my little league team in terms of training routines, nothing too technical or taxing, but just simple, many possession stuff, um, that kind of thing, just to get them used to the ball and used to each other and keeping the ball. Um, and then... We did that for a couple of weeks. Then the first, I remember the first session we had at the club, I felt really self-conscious and really kind of fretted about it. And I think I had the day off work. So I got to the club 45 minutes early, ridiculously early and sort of pottering around just trying to think, oh, what, you know, is this, what am I going to do? I'd worked out what to do as a routine and what I was my plan for the sort of session. But in, at the start of the season, it was quite warm. So, of course, all the parents used to stay and watch training then. They don't now. They kind of just drop their kids off and disappear <laughs> for a cup of tea or whatever. But they were all stood there watching. And I felt so self-conscious and just thinking, oh, everybody else training as well is looking at me. And, of course, they're not. They're not remotely interested in what you're doing. Um, so, yeah, I, was, I did feel I was sort of questioning myself. Are my routines going to be interesting? Are they good enough? Are people going to be judging what I'm doing? Mm-hmm. Um, but you know you've just got to get over that and the sessions were good and the kids seemed to enjoy it and I just relaxed after that really the first after I got the first couple out of the way I don't even think too much about it and you do keep half an eye on what other people are doing as well because they're all on the same pitch and you know it's similar stuff some of it to what I do and I speak to I've sp- I speak to other parents who I know there who've got kids in other teams and they say yeah, yeah you're doing all right you know you're, you're doing what X does or B does in there seconds mm-hmm. you know you're not doing anything don't worry about what you're doing you're doing stuff that we see other coaches doing which is good to know and I think you know you've got to remember as all well, their 10 year old kids they're not 
you know, professional players. Um, so it's got to be not overcomplicated, but at the same time, it's got to be challenging. And that's what I try and do with the routines that I do. Um, and some of them are repetitive and some of them are not. And I try and mix it up every week. But yeah, initially, very apprehensive, as I, I'm pretty sure you were. Yeah, so I have what I'd really like to to say I did. <laughs> but I'm going to be pretty honest uh, about what I what I did. <laughs> so I mean I, I we're obviously, you know, we're volunteers. We we're, we're doing this cuz we cuz we uh, cuz we enjoy it, get a lot of enjoyment out of it. Um, but I think you know, you should still approach it as if it was your profession. That that's my mindset. Is you know, it, it doesn't matter. So you should treat it as if as if it's your job as well. And so you know, if I'm going into a new job or whatever, I'm very focused on those first few weeks, and I'm thinking about ahead of time about what is it uh, I want to get done in those in those first few weeks because that's when people form those early opinions uh, and perspectives and perceptions around around you as a person and, and in this case a coach. So there was probably uh, there was a, a couple of months in between uh, knowing I was going to go ahead and do it. I had to get on the courses that we spoke about last week. Um, they're very popular so it took a little bit of time before I could go through and do those. Um, I'd gone through and done those, got all the qualifications and what have you. I'd been using that time to do a lot of casual YouTubing. So looking around at lots of uh, kind of drills and, and you know what people were doing. So I think I started off just looking for any football drills, you know, regardless of age group. I wasn't filtering at all there, and then I kind of refined it down to look at, you know, under under tens, under nines, kind of drills and what what they do there. So I had this uh, mental library in my mind of of all of these football drills, and you know, I, I kind of I'd see one and I think, oh yeah, that that worked really well. Make a mental note of it, but I, I I didn't write these down or save them into a list or anything. And and the best way I can describe it is, you know, you know when they brought in um, the charge for the plastic bags, yeah, four p or five p now I can't I can't remember. Yeah. Um. So you know, initially, you know, there's that there's that repulsion from from society. It's like I'm not paying for these things. So, yeah. I got them for free for years. I'm, I'm not paying for them. So, you know, they try and uh, carry, you know, 10 or more objects out, <laughs> you know, loading up their pockets yeah, yeah. And, and balancing it to try and get out of uh, whichever supermarket it is. So when I rocked up to that first training session, mentally, that's how I felt. I felt like I was balancing all these football drills in my mind and, and sort of ready to discuss them with the head coach and, and about what we could do. And uh, I, I also, I was, I was turning up preparing to learn, you know, preparing to, well, I'm going to see, you know, I've got this other chap, he's going he's gonna to show me the ropes, he's going to teach me how to do all this stuff and I'll, you know, I'll help out and, uh, you know, maybe talk to the kids one-to-one -one and give them a few pointers and stuff like that. 
And, uh, you know, the first question, so, so the girls are already kind of turning up, we're doing a bit of a warm-up, and then head coach just says, uh, so what are we going to do today then? <laughs> and my <laughs> balanced, you know, hundreds of uh, YouTube drills and everything just, just all fell on the floor. <laughs> I was kind of like, I uh, wasn't expecting that. I don't know, what, what do you think we should work on? <laughs> And then I, I think he was um, he was playing with me a little bit. He he did have in mind what he wanted to work on, yeah. but uh, I think if I if I'd have gone back, if I could replay that, you know, go back in time, as they say, the mistake that I made. Well, firstly, uh, well, what I know now is, you know, looking at hundreds of YouTube drills. Um, really isn't going to help you there's loads of fantastic drills on there but it has to be part of a of an overarching plan on on what is it you're trying to do yep absolutely the other thing is um i didn't talk enough beforehand to the head coach about you know because we're we're that team so you know, any any new team, you need to first figure out, okay, how are we going to work together? What are we going to focus on? Um, this is how it's how it's going to work effectively. And, uh, you know, something in, in my professional life I, I talk a lot about is there's, there's one of my favorite quotes is actually an Eisenhower quote. And I, I can never remember the actual words. I, I usually just paraphrase it. But he sort of says that, that plans themselves are useless, but planning is everything yeah and that that is the missing piece um that i i didn't honestly do that i really should have done beforehand now there was no kind of spilt milk or anything like say head coach kind of uh already had a plan in mind and so we went through that but after the session i i felt you know i sort of let myself down a bit that that i didn't I didn't take the opportunity to have those discussions and turn up ready to go with, um, you know, whatever we were going to work on on that day with a view to what the overarching plan was. So that, that was my, uh, uh, my main lesson learned, I think, um, from those first, well, actually, that, the very first session there. That's pretty interesting. Um... Yeah, because I mean, initially I was doing it on my own, so I have now got an assistant. Um, uh, so I didn't have anybody to kind of bounce off um, in the early days. And part of my thinking was, even if I am worrying about what I'm going to be doing, do I think it's good enough? What are the parents going to think? I thought I've got to at least be authoritative and look like I know what I'm doing in the way that I interact with the kids and, you know, not letting them run riot and so i've always been very of that mindset you know right guys this is what we're doing right you know that you know not not showing any fears through the way i interact with them if that makes Mm -hmm. sense um and you know it's probably the same in any job anything you do you've got you're trying to impress people to a point and you're trying to show that you know what you're doing um and it's and it's got easier and i do enjoy it i think it helped the fact that i didn't i knew some of the parents already and they obviously were happy for their kids to come and play in the team and they knew a bit about me already so it was just trying to sort of prove to those other parents myself that you know they're in good hands that hopefully I can progress them um so yeah it's it's interesting I don't really I st- even even now I still feel that way 
mm-hmm. you know, most weeks, I think, because I want training to be, first of all, I want them to enjoy it. That's really important to me. And I want them to have a good team spirit. And I think we've got that. Um, and it's important to me as well. It sounds weird that when they're messing around and larking about and it's driving me mad, I also enjoy that because it shows they've got a good bond mm-hmm. and they can be like that with each other rather than they're all stood about in cliques, not interacting. So I quite, I do quite enjoy that as much as it drives me crazy at times. <laughs> um, so it's always that balance between the trait. It's got to be fun. But it's also got to be serious and they've got to get something out of it. But like you said, there's got to be a structure. So what are we, it's all very well. And there are some amazing routines out there. And I've got a lot of my ideas from like you, just, just like you, YouTubing stuff, but it's got to be relevant to the whole theme of training. You know, are we going to work on possession? Are we going to work on, our shape are we going to work on tackling are we going to work on body shape are we going to you know so you can't just do my personal feelings you can't just do random willy-nilly routines they've all got to be linked somehow and that's kind of what I try and do in my training sessions and I found it easier as we've gone on because you start to as you probably find as well you you focus on the bits that you think aren't so good and you do routines based around improving those skills uh, but also still keep dipping your toe and keeping your hand in the bits that they do do well so they don't forget, especially if you don't have a game for a couple of weeks, but whether you can get back into bad habits, it's always reinforcing the things they do well. And it's always a balancing act. And the good thing is there's so many routines out there and you can get, I get ideas from my own routines from looking at other ones. And I try, I put my own twist on it or try to. Um, and yeah, there's, you know, every week is different because there's so many different things you can try and work on. And, just this week we tried some new stuff and it was great the kids at the end said oh, are we, gonna, are we gonna do that again i really enjoyed it and that was that was amazing to hear that because you, mm-hmm. you never know sometimes because you sometimes say to the guys how do you find it and you, you know you get a sort of shrug of the shoulders or whatever but um yeah a few of them said oh we really can we do that again we really enjoyed it and that was great it was really good so um so yeah it's always a challenge but as you probably i mean you must find it a bit easier now as well now you've got your feet under the table and how's what's the dynamic in your training it's interesting because i've got an assistant but i kind of take training and he kind of he helps you know putting the cones out like you said before and mm-hmm. encouraging the kids and that sort of thing but i lead training is that how it works for you guys or so for the um for the last last few months um so, so we were the pioneers, if you like. We, we were the first girls team in the club, but we're very keen to uh, to start up other teams as well. So for the last uh, few months, we've had a few younger girls down, and so so the the coaches generally gone to uh, to work with them, and uh, left me to to work with our team. So working through whatever we've discussed. So in mind with what, what I talked about before and where I think I dropped the ball a bit, um, I, I did some soul searching after that. And after a, after a little while, again, I think we'll go into um, coach planning in another podcast in a, in a bit more detail. But essentially what, what I have now, I've got a, a plan uh, for every week on what we're going to work on up until, up until May. Now, all plans can change. Uh, but if I if I want to know what are we working on on ev- any given week, I can just go into my little Excel spreadsheet and I, I say, all oh, right, we're going to work on this particular drill. And usually it's 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 in 
uh, four to six week blocks, you know, that we're going to work on, say, ball control or uh, the defensive side of the game or, or attacking and, and what have you. So um, that's that's generally what I uh, how I execute now. So it's it's a lot easier now that um, I, I can be so forward looking. Um, I don't have to uh, come with my uh, YouTube drills and think, right, what should we work on today? Um, we didn't do this particularly well in the last game. Let's let's work on that particular piece, you know, yep. and, and be very reactive to it. Absolutely. I think, yeah, you learn as you go along. I think also what I've found has helped me has I always ask the kids I'm coaching them but I'm also saying right what did we do wrong there you know what what are the things we've got to take into this game which think we could do better or at half time mm-hmm. what, what haven't we done very well in that game rather than just I don't want to be like rat-a-tat at them all the time I want to get their buying and their view and they're good at that they're good at you know they'll tell me yeah I think we should do this I think we should do that and that's really important as well having that two-way dialogue and Initially, that was a bit difficult because some of them were just fitting in to know the others and that sort of thing. So I was always trying to get their perspective and their feedback on mm-hmm. what they think. You know, it's not just about what I think and me telling them what to do. I want them to to learn and question me and answer the questions themselves. You know, what what did you do wrong there? Or I'll stop the game. Right, what, what should have happened there? And they're really they're getting really good at that and mm-hmm. feeding back, and it's good. And I feel that they they sort of trust me in that respect, and they're quite comfortable um, feeding that information back. So that that's really important to me as well. And I think that's really helped cement the team spirit that we've got, which is really important to me as well. So yeah, it's um, it's a gradual progression, but um, you're always learning. And my big hope going forward is that they want to stay together, and we can take it into next year because you never know. Some of them might have other interests they might not want to do it next year and all this so yeah it's interesting to um to get their side of it as well i think that's really important yeah i think the it's a brilliant point about the the questioning so that that's something um that's something i try and do um and that that was just uh uh, not plagiarize what whatever the word is where you just copy you know you you see what someone else is doing you think oh, that's that's quite a good idea so generally all of the uh training sessions we start off with we we just start with uh you know a few questions so you know how did you think the last game went what what, what about the other team what what did they do well what did we do well uh what do we think uh we could do a bit better yeah. and the the you get a bit more interaction, a bit more engagement than, uh, you know, if I was to just stand there and say, well, this is what we did well, this is what we didn't do well, you know, people would be looking off into the clouds or at the shoes and whatever and, and not really not really learning, you know. So, uh, so yeah, I think teaching them through asking questions is a really great way to learn. Yeah, because... You know, if you stood there for five, I'm, it happened this morning, I was doing a pre-match team talk and two or three of them were looking over my shoulder at a game going on behind me. And I'm, you're kind of like, you know, the attention span's not always going to be there. So I, I do fine by asking them questions and getting them to speak back. It does hold their attention a lot more and they they, they seem a bit more focused on what you're saying then. That's what I find just with the boys. 
I don't know what the girls are like in terms of paying attention and listening. What are they? They quite attentive, or are they? I mean, the boys are, can be a nightmare. I find because they just get very easily distracted. But whether the girls are as well, I'd be interested to get your perspective on that because it's always I've always wondered. Yeah. Because my daughter's team very focused. I've seen my daughter's manager talk to her, and they're all you can hear a pin drop. Really? But, yeah. Um, maybe it's the way he is with them. I don't, I don't know. Um, but yeah, it's interesting that the boys are real. They're quite a handful to just get to pay attention. Luckily, yeah. the focus when the game starts. But um, yeah, what, how do you find that with the girls? So, I mean, first and foremost, you're dealing with under tens, aren't you? So, whether yeah, it's that, girls or yeah, boys, you, you do have to tell yourself that. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, and I think if uh, you know, again, um, now I turn up with a rock solid plan in in my mind, and it, and if I've had a busy week at work and not not been able to. Uh, mentally prepare well I, I've still got that plan ahead of time that, that you know I can just go through and make sure right say when we turn up this is what we're going to do and it I follow the pretty much the same formula like say talking about the, the questions we'll go through a warm-up um, we'll go through typically some kind of unopposed uh, technique kind of drill yep. then add some opposition a bit of resistance into into that drill um, and then we'll we'll generally have a small sided game. So when when you've got that uh, structure, you know exactly how it's going to flow. Where in the uh, allotted time you need to be at, at any particular point, that yeah. helps to go in there. Um, I think if you're uh, just go in there without really thinking about what is it we're going to do and. Yeah. the girls are turning up you know one at a time and and then they're sort of talking about stuff and running around chasing each other messing about and, and stuff then they, then you get eaten alive i think yeah um, so absolutely. so it is about getting on the front foot it's about a, a tone of voice as well having that authority in your voice yeah. um and and just you know uh taking taking tips from you know when how teachers do it you yeah know, it used to uh, amaze me when I'd, I'd go and see uh you know you go and see your kids at plays and stuff and and uh it's amazing how the teachers you know put on an activity or something like that you know and you just think how the mine don't behave like that at home you know so but it is about uh, all these tricks on on how to how to get them to behave, and and not so much how to get them to behave actually, because I, I think I'm still searching for that one. But keep them focused on yeah. something, you yeah. know, and and trying to trying to get to enjoy it. Yeah, absolutely. That's a key point. I think it's strange when the game starts that they're incredibly focused, but it's just sometimes you think, you know, are they listening? They're paying attention, and I think they probably are, to be fair, because they do take. I've seen a lot of improvement and what we've worked on. I can see them improving and getting better at that. And that's very, it's a great buzz and it's very satisfying to see that. But <clears throat> you're right, tone of voice. It's, it's interesting. We had a Christmas party not long ago and, um, you know, we were chatting with the parents. They were, oh, how do you think it's going? I said, yeah, great. You know, I think the kids are doing really well. And they said, yeah, we're really, we're, we're loving it. You know, they're really enjoying it. And it's great to hear that. And they said, they said, I said, um, oh, sometimes I think I'm a bit harsh with them. And all the parents pretty much said, oh, I don't think you're hard, hard enough with them. I was like, really? <laughs> it really surprised me because in my mind, I can be quite 
not strict, but when they're when they're messing around and not listening, I'm very very firm with them. Or maybe I've gone a bit, and even in games, I think oh, I've gone a bit too far there. But the parents are like, no, 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 I don't. I think we think sometimes you could probably be a bit harder on them. I'm like, wow, that really that really surprised me. It really surprised me because it's interesting. Your, your perception of how you are mm-hmm. with them is completely different to the outside. And I guess because you get so caught up in that world of being a coach, you probably you can't even you can't sort of step out of side of yourself. And it'd be interesting. So it'd be interesting to if somebody videoed a coaching session that I did and I could watch it back or how I behave on the touchline, I'd be fascinated to, to see that mm-hmm. and just, just to see if how I would critique myself, if that makes sense. I'd be, it'd be very interesting for me. And I'd probably learn a lot from it because obviously my perception of how I am with the kids is different to the parents, which is quite, which I found quite interesting. So yeah, yeah maybe you could try that to see what feedback you get. Yeah, that that would be interesting. I I kind of I, I think yeah, I subscribe end post, to end of season post mortem or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> I think I subscribe to if if it was uh, uh, if it was particularly bad, uh, I'd I'd certainly know about it. Um, yeah, in terms of yeah. getting told. Um, uh, but yeah, I think would I? I, I I'm quite envious of people who don't ever question themselves, you know, yeah. the sort of people who uh, uh, just have a an unshakable confidence in whatever it is they're doing. <laughs> and so yeah. sleep yeah. safely at night and just and just get on with it. But I do think it, it is healthy to, to just constantly um, critique yourself and yeah. just think, right, this is how I handle this situation. Could yeah. I have handled that better? Um, again, you know, the coaches are the same as the players. We're we're, we're going to make mistakes, yeah. And they, there's going to be things that we'll look back on and think, right, well, I, if I, if that had happened now, I'll, I'll handle that a bit differently. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, that's a good point. I, I'll have to I'll have to make a point of that of uh, of doing doing a lessons learned with all the parents at the at the end of the at the unless end of the really, season yeah unless it's really bad then you can cut it off and say oh let's forget it yeah um, two minutes in you, you yeah. get dogs abuse it's like right well thanks for joining uh <laughs> yeah. see you next year yeah and what i was going to say before as well when i when i started this season because we were the new team we had four we got four other under under tens teams apart from arts mm-hmm. and i felt a bit kind of not unworthy, but I felt a bit like the new kid in school, and I was kind of thinking, all these other coaches are thinking, where is this guy turning up with his new team? Who does he think he is? You know, and I and it was only when I got to know a few of the coaches that they're good guys, and you know, I, I do feel part of it now. But even that's why it's important for me to do my badges because then I'll probably feel more like I I should be there. Mm-hmm. Whereas now I'm, I feel like I'm still on trial to a point. I think because people could turn around and say well you haven't got your badges what do you know about being a coach which would be fair comment um but i also think on the flip side of that i think the team because we've had a we're doing really well this season i think the team is kind of speaking for itself as well and it makes me feel more because we're doing well it makes me feel more confident that i should be there yeah um uh but yeah that's that's why it's important and we'll touch it touch on it in future episodes but doing the badges is is a big thing for me 
because I think it will just make me feel more confident in myself, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. When I'm there with those guys who've got, if some of them have got their qualifications already, I'll think, well, yeah, I do belong here. And this is this is my team and we're contributing to this club because we're doing well. We've had some great feedback from people around the club, other managers and stuff like that. And it makes me, it all helps build up my confidence. But but there's still always that part, you know, am I doing, am I doing well enough, you know? But, but I don't think that's a bad thing. I think if you're always trying to push yourself and keep learning and don't ever get blasé about it, I think that's really important. And I think that's probably a good thing just to keep me on my toes. So, Yeah. I suspect you're thinking the coaches are thinking about your team a, a bit more than they are in reality. <laughs> just well, just probably. listening to their... Probably, yeah. I mean, it, between the kids, if there's, if there's the multiple under-10s teams, is there any sort of passing around of any transfers between teams uh-huh. there? Or? Uh, no, there's not actually, which is inter- that's an interesting point. No. Um, I think once once you're signed up for the season, that's it. The only time players do leave is, particularly from our, I call them the first team, they're probably the best team at the club at our age level. They do have players who go to clubs because they get poached to go to academies and whatever. So they do, I was speaking to the one of our under-10s managers the other day from that team and he said he's lost a couple of players because they've been scouted. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, you're going to want to take that opportunity. But in terms of between the teams, no, that doesn't happen actually. Which is interesting because um, a few of mine, one of their best friends, plays for a, another team at the club in a higher division than us. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, I would have him in my team. And mm-hmm. we've had that. I've had that discussion with his dad because he's thinking about that possibly happening next year. But I don't know how that happens. I don't know the rule, the rules and regulations, and if people are happy for me to poach a player from another team so he could play with his mates. He happens to be, he's good enough. And I think he'd be more comfortable maybe playing with all his friends. But, you know, it's more about being in the right team and and more than about being with your mates kind of thing, I suppose. But yeah, we'll see. I, I don't, but no, not that I know of, but in a season, it doesn't, it doesn't happen. People have their squads. And the only time you get a new player is if somebody's scouted and leaves and you just get a replacement from the yeah. waiting list, I suppose. So yeah, no, I've not, not really seen any of that. So. Okay. You don't you don't have to worry about that because you've only got one girls team. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I I quite honestly don't uh, uh, what the other coaches think. I suppose if I stopped to think uh, for more than twenty seconds, um, you might think, well, you know, because we're because we're the girls team, you know, are, are we viewed any differently from the other uh, from the other teams there? But uh, I I don't care what they think to be honest. Absolutely, quite right. Okay, so should we should we try and sum up there about some of the things we've talked about? So we talked about that initial period that uh, administration is uh, something to expect when you just when you're just starting out, particularly for a new team. Not so much if it's an established team and and you're just coming in. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, ordering kits is pretty stressful, so uh, make sure you get your orders right. Probably have a little system, a little spreadsheet or paper, pen and paper, whatever you're comfortable with. Yeah, that's exactly what I had. Yeah, and so uh, make sure you get the right sizes, but you know the kits are going to have to fit them for a for a couple of years. So uh, so don't don't order too small. Um, I think also you know we talked we touched a little bit about you know having a plan so an approach 
towards uh, towards the coaching. What we probably didn't touch on, and uh, we can touch on this in a later podcast, is really part of that planning is ultimately how how do you want the team to play? Do you want them to to have a, a direct style? Do you want them to be uh, to be a possession based team? Do you want to have uh, do you want to have them gangan pressing? <laughs> Maybe, uh, but ultimately, that that really that philosophy is going to drive uh, what you're putting into your plan. So uh, that'll be a, an interesting one to to discuss in the future. Yep, definitely. Is there anything anything I forgot there? No, I think that's it, really. Okay, so let's move on to our next section there, which is our retro review. Okay, so we're going to be talking about Paul Gascoigne. Okay, so Ben, what what are your first early memories of of the player Paul Gascoigne? Well, probably like a lot of people my generation, I guess, Italia 90, still probably my favourite World Cup. Um, Absolutely love that World Cup. And I think he was obviously the guy that came back from that as a bit of a national hero. Um, and probably I would guess the first time a lot of people were probably aware of him. I, I'm probably aware of him, but I don't ever, I can't ever remember watching him in a game like at club level and noticing him. Mm. I just, maybe it's because I was too focused on only watching Liverpool or whatever. I, I don't know, but I don't ever really remember him standing out to me as a sort of hero of mine or anything like that. But Italian 90, I, I think I may be wrong, but I'm pretty sure in the first England game of that World Cup, he didn't actually start. Mm-hmm. Now, I seem to remember this because we didn't have a very good result. We drew, I think. We, or we might have lost. Yeah. Well, with Ireland, that's right. With the Republic of Ireland. That's right. And then I think we played Holland, possibly. And uh, Yep. Oh, look at that memory. Um Good that, good that you confirmed that you did your research. Well, no, I'll get onto I'll get into my perspective in a minute. Oh, okay. but it's it's quite burned on my brain that that right. one. But I can I can remember now the disappointment after that Ireland game because we won the up and they got a late equaliser and it was all doom and gloom like it always is with the England team. But he started against Holland and he absolutely ran the show. It was it was amazing. Um, and I was like, who's the, who's this guy? I just wasn't really aware of him. But I seem to remember he did a, I think he did a Cruyff turn, took out a couple of players, and it was fantastic. And there weren't many players. I mean, Chris Waddle was a bit like that as well, who I loved watching. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this this kid, he was, he was probably 23 or something at the time, but yeah, fantastic. And he just had, he just had the cojones to to do that and try that, and he just played without fear. And what was deceptive about him as well, he was obviously he was quite a stocky individual. But he had a real acceleration, which probably people wouldn't associate with him or even remember. But he really could, over 10, 15 yards, just surge past a player. And that's my, they're my memories of him, just surging past players mm-hmm. and causing havoc. Then, of course, you know, the Germany semi-final, the tears and all that. Um, kind of heartbreaking at the time, but he carried on, tried to get, obviously, we didn't make it as usual. I say we. I've got my England hat on for the World Cup because Wales are never in them. Um, but yeah, and after that, probably obviously the semi-final against 
Arsenal at Wembley where he scored that unbelievable free kick. Yeah, yeah. Top corner. Fantastic. And then sadly, I think after that, so it's a very short period that I remember him as being so great. And then because within a space of a year, he'd wrecked his knee um, and he was he was never quite the same again, which was which was tragic, really. Um, And I think obviously it's well documented all the problems he's had since. Mm -hmm. Um, But I remember I remember that FA Cup final where he did that. He did that knee and. I remember reading interviews years later of people like in the tunnel with him or in the same team, Tottenham players and stuff. And they said he was, he was so wound up and you could see it in the warm up yeah. since. And he was like, he was so hyper. He was always either going to get sent off or do something to himself or something was going to happen. I remember, I remember that watching that cup final thinking, cause he was playing on the edge. And I think that's, that was part of his talent that he did play on the edge and he would try things other players wouldn't do, but fortunately it was the wrong playing on the edge. Um, and it's a shame that he had that knee injury because for that time, and he had that brief sort of resurrection in the Euros with England, and he scored mm-hmm. that amazing goal against Scotland. But yeah. he was never even then; he wasn't quite the same player. But because he had so much ability, he could kind of get away with it, and he would still be picked because um, he could still influence a game. But in terms of natural ability, I mean, there's not many that I've seen since I've been watching football, that that's, that have been English, that have produced talent like that. I can think of very few. I mean, you think of people like Gerard, different type of player, but in terms of just that ability to try something unexpected and the, the skill level, there's just not, not been many that I could really think of. And for that, he was just a hell of a player. I mean, you're, yeah. I would guess World Cup 90, similar for you when he came on the radar and... Yeah, so so for me, Italia ninety is is my World Cup. Um, we spoke last week about really that that football switch turning on in uh, in eighty six for me, and obviously the, there was a World Cup that year as well. And you know um, the whole Maradona uh, quarter final there was was there. I was aware of it. And, you know, people were talking about, you know, England going out to Argentina and whatever, but I wasn't fully invested. Um, no, in I wouldn't that. either. You're right. I totally agree with that. Yeah. And, but when in the, in the build up to the World Cup in, in, uh, in Italy in, in 1990, I, I was all on board then. And I remember having the, uh, the England team up on the wall. And, and still, for me, that's the best England kit there has been. Uh, but again, that's probably my uh, <laughs> my particular uh, perspective on that, just the age I was and everything. But um, I remember that, that, like you say, that first game was really disappointing. Um, I, I can't remember, quite honestly, who scored for England. But I do remember, obviously, Steve McMahon was playing yeah, and sort of miscontrolled it. Uh, that's right, that's just right. was it Kevin Sheedy? I think just Kevin and Sheedy, then just yeah. popped it into the far corner. It's like, oh, come on! <laughs> yeah. But there was a real, you know, the the English press are so binary, aren't they? They're either all on board, or you know, you're the worst team that's ever donned the England kit. And uh, I seem to remember there was a real downbeat mood around the team then because you know we everyone was expecting um you know this is before 
Republic of Ireland went on to have a, a few really good years, didn't they, under well, they Jack got, Charles? They got, the, they got to the quarterfinals of that World Cup. Yeah, yeah, but going into it, they were really a surprise package. So that opening yeah. game, I think almost everyone was expecting England to win comfortably. And so, you know, going into the second game, playing a very good Dutch side, I think there was a bit of a downbeat, like, oh, here we go, we could go out of the group stages here. And so I remember watching it with a, with a few friends, and I had no idea who Paul Gascoigne was, quite honestly. And as you mentioned before, he ran the show, and that Cruyff turn, I, I still I still remember it now. Um, I, I can see it in my mind's eye as you talk about it. I can, yeah, I can remember the way he just took those different. It was amazing. Because I'd I'd never seen an England player do anything like that. Uh, he just took two Dutch defenders completely out of the game, and you know it's one of the, you watch it on the replay and you're like, how did that happen? <laughs> you know? yeah. And yeah. you know we've been used to very um, different sort of central midfielders, haven't we? We still had great central midfielders in '86. Um, you know, people like obviously Brian Robson, uh, Peter Reid, players like that, but more about controlling the game, you know, good tackling, bursting forward and, uh, and stuff like that. But this, his skill on the ball and, and like you say, that initial burst of acceleration, he was just like a player I'd, I'd never seen before. Certainly not, not playing for England. Yeah. I don't, probably the closest I remember, I think, to seeing that again was probably Wayne Rooney when he was 16, 17 and I thought wow I remember when he played Turkey and he made his debut and he was he was unbelievable yeah, um, yeah. but never really quite panned out that way but yeah there's not many like I said before that I can think of who had that oh, just unbelievable ability absolutely natural God given yeah. talent that, that was I, I was honestly racking my brains to try and think you know who would be who would I say he was like now? And and I no, don't hang up on me. <laughs> the the only person I could really think, and he's nowhere near the class, and he he certainly not lived up to his potential. But actually, Ross Barkley, when I saw him first burst yeah. into the Everton side, I well, thought he was in my mind just now, yeah, yeah, he's got that kind of that close control, that skill, um, that burst of pace, he can score goals. Actually, this this guy could be a, a new sort of in that Gascoigne mould. But, I mean, we'll see how he does at, at Chelsea, obviously. But, uh, you know, he's not really lived up to that potential. But that, that's the only player I could think of. There's, there's been lots of players influenced by Gascoigne. Like yeah. I said, Wayne Rooney's talked, talked a lot about him. Uh, Steven Gerrard, you said, Playing the streets, pretending he was Paul Gascoigne, but but in terms of actual playing style, um, I, I can't think of anyone closer. Like I say, than, than Ross Barkley looked like he could have been in in those early days. Yeah, no, I mean, and he's probably a similar age. I think he's probably the same age now as Gaza was when he had that World Cup. So you never know. There's mm-hmm. still, if he stays fit, he's at a new club, new challenge, hopefully, because he has he has got a lot of talent, and he he did pop into my mind when I thought about. Who is like that, or who's who have I seen since Gascoigne and he, him and Rooney, the only two that really stick in my mind at, at the moment. Hopefully, there'll be more to come, but yeah, it's um, almost yeah. a once in a lifetime thing. 
yeah. somebody that talented. So I can really recommend the. Uh, I don't know if you've seen it. The the um, documentary on Netflix. Uh, I think it's just called Gaza. And uh, you know, it's 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 been up there fairly recently. It's it's a really good watch, and it, it's I'll, obviously I'll check that out. I haven't actually seen that, but um, I've seen retro documentaries on World Cup ninety from an England perspective, and obviously there's a lot about Gaza in those. But yeah, mm-hmm. I've not seen that. I've not seen that particular one, but I will check that out. I think is it is it one night in Turin? Yes, that's it. And, I'll, and I'll probably say to the younger generation who who've never seen him play, check it out as well, because what a player! What a yeah. Player. It is actually. I'll come back to that uh, national museum quote in a sec. But I think for me, again, the things that made him, him distinctive: running with the ball, uh, dribbling, that that close control, that skill. But also, he was strong as an ox, you know. Because any skillful players, typically, you know, the the. <laughs> The uh, the less skilled are trying to muscle them off the ball and, and trying to win that physical battle, uh, yeah. but he could really mix it up and he you can see him he's in some of the old footage he's he's pretty much handing people off, <laughs> yeah, uh, while he's wriggling he through well. he's able to hand people off while he's uh, while he's keeping the ball close and, and dribbling it right through there. He's so good at that as well, yeah. Once he got going, you couldn't stop him. Yep. And so I think the the thing I mentioned there about that National Museum quote, so the most naturally gifted English midfielder of his generation. And when I read that, and so so when we spoke about, we, we'd speak about Gaza, I did uh, read up on him again a, a little bit and saw that quote, and it actually jarred with me a little bit. Because... I, I'm not sure, other than you know the passion, the desire um, to to play football and excel at it. I, I I just don't know what is natural about what Gascoigne had. You know, he was like you say, he was about 23 in Italia '90. He'd have spent the best part of 20 years, you know, every bit of spare time he had with a football, a tennis ball, a can probably down the street, practicing. And, and you know, he wouldn't have thought of it as practicing, but he would have been um, kicking something around and honing that ability and getting better and better. And so I, I thought it was a, a little bit disrespectful to just write it off as, as, as a natural gift. I don't know what. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think, I think there's, I think some, I do think people do have that in them. But I think also you've got a, it's hard work as well. And like you said, having such an enthusiasm for the game, which I think he had, and you just always have a ball, tennis ball, ping pong ball, football, whatever ball it is, you're kicking a ball. Um, you know. My, my lad puts his socks together in a bunch and kicks them around the house. <laughs> he, he always has to be kicking to him. But yeah, and it's almost like you're doing it without thinking. And you just, you're walking down the street, like you said, you're walking to school, you've got a ball, you're kicking it against a wall on the way to school. And we've all done that to a point, I'm sure. But yeah, somebody who just lived and breathed football. And I think you do have to have an element of luck, hard work. But also, I do believe that people do have a bit of that ability. But you can't just make it by having ability and not working hard. And I'm sure, despite all the 
extracurricular activities he got up to, I'm sure he did work hard because he loved the game. And you could see that, the void in his life when he didn't have football anymore, which has probably led to a lot of his problems. But yeah, it's I, I get what you're saying. I think there is an element of hard work that goes and goes hand in hand with that. Otherwise, you'll never make it to the top. It's too difficult. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah... Um... Is there anything else you want to touch on with with Gascoigne? We spoke about Italian ninety and and I mean that FA Cup uh, run that they had. You know, I, I still watch him line up that free kick against Arsenal, and uh, and every time I see him running towards the ball, I think you're you're too far out there. What what are you doing shooting yeah. from there? <laughs> I think even a commentator was it was something like. He's gonna try. Is he gonna try one? He is, you know, or something like that. And then it flies, and you're kind of like, even the commentator thought, no, you're too far out, sunshine. You're never gonna put that in. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, if I don't know if brutal is is the right word, maybe a bit harsh, but but in my opinion, you know that that kind of 90, 91, 92 time. Before he did his knee, and I think those were his peak years. You know, he, yep. he obviously had a, a good career. Played for, played in Italy, uh, won lots of stuff up, up with Rangers in Scotland, but um, never quite for me recaptured just that that um, unbelievable uh, skill that he had and, and the impact on the games that he had. And if I if I have brought it up before, this is. Possibly a bit of an unintentional theme, but uh, lack of caps compared to ability seems to be uh, a bit of a theme. Yep. So, fifty-seven England caps he got in the end, and and I think a lot of that will be to do with his with his injuries, um, but uh, it still seems shockingly low. It does. I'm, I actually knew it was fifty-seven, which is amazing. It's about the only one I do know, but um, yeah, it's it's rubbish isn't it really but you know he joins the list of players who should have got more caps and didn't for whatever reason um and he did suffer pretty cruel up with injuries and the problem he probably got that knee injury back when the surgery and modern medicine probably nowadays it's such a common thing and it's almost like oh well he's done his ligament cruciate ligament he'll be back playing no problem but maybe back then it wasn't quite the same, or maybe his body just couldn't handle it, I don't know. But it was a real shame because, you're right, he wasn't the same player, but still a hell of a player after oh, that yeah. um, because of that ability. But, yeah, it, it was a real shame for him. Yeah, and it's almost it's almost pointless speculating, but before he did his knee, and, and like you say, I, I'm sure in that in the Netflix documentary they, they talk a little bit about that hyper state that he was in before the before the final, you know, he, he just wanted to win so badly. Yeah. But I remember he, he planted his his foot right in the middle of uh, one of the Forest players' chests, you know, again, just, just yeah. being a bit overzealous. and, and Which would uh, have been a red card yeah. nowadays. So if, sent straight off. If they'd have sent him off, then he doesn't do his knee and, and we're having a whole whole different conversation. But, um, you know, that's it's just one of those things. Um, but, yeah, he's obviously, in the last last few weeks, seems to be quite active on Twitter, actually. So Yeah, he's posting a few jokes. Well. And it's good to see. I hope he's, yeah, I hope he carries that on and doesn't, it's not the bad stuff we read about him. So, yeah, it's good to see that, actually. It didn't make me chuckle. Yeah, it seems... Uh, 
him and Tim Vine should get together because they're they're right in there with the puns. <laughs> yeah, he loves the puns, as Tim Vine. He does. So okay, so let's let's move on to a slightly newer section, uh, which we're going to call "Stump the Grasshopper." Okay, so we've spoken quite a bit about uh, uh, the impact that Italia 90 had on us, um, and uh, obviously that was a, a shining light for, for Paul Gascoigne. What's interesting, that is obviously quite a while ago now, is that we've got a f- quite a few professional footballers in the game born in 1990. So what I'm going to do, Ben, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to give you three options, it's either A, B or C, and I'm going to give you three players... Um, and one of them is born in 1990. So I've got five hey, questions for me. you, and we'll see how you do. <laughs> okay, so born in 1990. A, Antoine Griezmann. B, Tony Cruz. C, Theo Walcott. And I mm. will know if you're Googling. <laughs> <laughs> I know who it's not. I know it's not Theo Walcott. I think it is... Tony Cruz. Oh, you're right. Spot on. Okay. Next one is a bit of a Liverpool theme here. So we've got A, Nathaniel Klein. B, Mario Balotelli. C, Daniel Sturridge. Well, again, I know it's not Sturridge, so I think it's probably that line. Sorry, Skype. Tweaked out a bit there. Was that Klein? Yeah, Nathaniel Klein. Nope. Balotelli. Ah. <laughs> so Nathaniel Klein was born in 91. I'm quite good on my birthdays. <laughs> well, well, we'll tot up the scores and see at the end there. So third one, so Kevin De Bruyne, Tom Cleverley, David De Gea. Cleverley. Nope, David De Gea. Oh, no. Cleverly was 89. Okay, so we, question number four. We've got A, Victor Moses, B, N'Golo Kante, C, Andy Carroll. Bit of a Chelsea theme there. I thought I'd be a little bit cheeky there with the Carroll Victor link. Moses. Victor Moses. Yep, spot on. B. Okay, so Carroll's another one that was that was 89. And let's all hope uh, that Chelsea move goes through. Question five. We've got A, Gareth Bale. B, Eden Hazard. C, Aaron Ramsey. Oh, I know it's not Bale. It's one of the other two. I think... I think it's uh, Ramsey. Yep, spot on. So you got three out of five there, so well done. Um, genuinely, if I wasn't putting the questions together, I don't think uh, I'd, I'd be completely guessing out of, out of all of those, quite honestly. Well, we'll uh, I'll do. It'll be my turn next week to do the same for you, and we'll keep a we'll keep a little score going. Yep. Sounds good. Week. All right, I should <laughs> save this little spreadsheet then. <laughs> yeah, keep it, keep it, mate. So let's wrap up there. You've been listening to the Grassroots Coachcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher, and it'd be great if you could leave us one of those five-star reviews or a go Lazo. 
Thank you for listening, and thank you to Luca Barberi, who's going to play us out with the theme to the 1990 World Cup. You can find his YouTube channel in the show notes. Cheers, Ben. Yeah, cheers, Dave. Enjoyable, and uh, look forward to next week.